Welcome to A Great Big City News, episode 61. Today, a fire sweeps through Ellis Island, the Switchback Railway opens, and the case of the hollow nickel. A Great Big City is only possible through your support, so visit agreatbigcity.com support to make a one-time or monthly contribution, or if you're a local business, visit agreatbigcity.com advertising and place an ad on the website or on our podcast to let interested New Yorkers know about your business. Visit agreatbigcity.com advertising to view rates and learn more. Checking in on a few of the top stories this week. Friday, June 19th was the celebration of Juneteenth that commemorates the effective end to slavery in the southern states when the Emancipation Proclamation was read in Texas government. By June 1866, that day had become an annual celebration named Juneteenth, celebrating the newfound freedom of people who had been previously enslaved. Juneteenth was officially commemorated in New York in 2004, and was declared a state holiday by Governor Cuomo in 2020. Also on the day of Juneteenth this year, Mayor de Blasio declared Juneteenth a holiday for city schools and city government, which will take effect in June 2021. Juneteenth leads right into June 20th, when the summer solstice, which effectively marks the longest period of sunlight on any day of the year. Traditionally, there's a midsummer celebration in Battery Park City. But the Battery Park City Conservancy doesn't have any events scheduled for this year. June 21st is Father's Day, which may also require some modified celebration plans this year due to coronavirus concerns. And on Tuesday, June 23rd is Election Day, which will be one of the largest tests in the state's history of the absentee ballot system, where all New Yorkers were granted the ability to request an absentee ballot over coronavirus concerns to avoid crowding at polling places. Now let's take a look back at this week in New York City history. 123 years ago, on June 15, 1897, a fire sweeps through Ellis Island's original wood buildings. It completely destroyed the original structures and most of the immigration records that were kept on the island, which dated back to 1855. During Reconstruction, immigrants were processed at the Barge Office along the eastern edge of the Battery in Manhattan, near Castle Clinton. A reconstructed processing center would open on the island on December 17, 1900, which are the red brick and limestone buildings seen there today. One hundred and thirty-six years ago, on June 16, 1884, America's first roller coaster opens in Coney Island. You may think the Coney Island Cyclone looks pretty old and is an example of a later type of wooden roller coaster, but America's first roller coaster also opened in Coney Island. Named the Switchback Railway, it was 50 feet tall and traveled down a length of 600 feet at a speed of 6 miles per hour. The inventor, Lamarcus Adna Thompson, designed the sloping track after riding a former coal mining railway in eastern Pennsylvania that people had begun using for entertainment purposes. The structure built in Coney Island ran in a straight line instead of in a loop, with rolling tracks connecting two high platforms. As the train cars reached the end, they were lifted up along the last slope, much like any modern roller coaster, then switched to a return track that duplicates the ride in reverse. 
Here's how LaMarcus Thompson described the switchback railway in his patent application. Ordinarily, two cars will be employed and pass each other, one on the outgoing and the other on the incoming track, which will greatly increase the pleasure over that which would be afforded if only a single track were used. This construction and arrangement affords a very enjoyable means for amusement and pleasure, the sensation being similar to that of coasting on the snow, with the difference that the conveyance runs on wheels and returns the passenger to the starting point without the necessity of having to walk up a hill for a second ride. The switchback railway was short-lived and quickly replaced with upgraded rides and modified designs. The Cyclone, Coney Island's famous wooden roller coaster that still stands today, would open 43 years later. A young boy entered a real-life spy thriller 67 years ago on June 22, 1953. Fourteen-year-old Jimmy Bozart was out collecting the weekly 35-cent subscription fees for the Brooklyn Eagle newspaper along his delivery route when he received a handful of change at 3403 Foster Avenue in East Flatbush. As he was walking down the stairs, he dropped the coins and found that one nickel had split in half, with the front half and the rim of the coin rolling a few feet away. Amazingly, when Jimmy found the thicker side of the coin, a small piece of microfilm was found still hidden inside it, but it was far too small to read. After taking the coin home, Jimmy thought to tell a girl in his 8th grade class about the find and see if her police detective father would know anything about it. The coin quickly made its way to the FBI laboratory in Washington, D.C., but the hollow nickel case would stay a mystery for the next four years. Upon inspection, the coin was crafted from two different nickels, with a 1948 face and a back from between 1942 and 1945. Hidden in the R of In God We Trust was a small hole that would allow a pointed device to pry the coin open. Only a small amount of the interior had been milled down, so the coin would retain as much of its original weight as possible. When magician supply shops were interviewed to try to locate the source of the coin, they said it would be of no use to a magician, as the interior was too small to conceal anything more than a thin slip of paper. The woman who had given Jimmy the nickel as payment had no idea what it was, and seemingly no further information as to where it had come from. And the series of numbers found on the microfilm inside proved too difficult to decode. The tool marks on other hollow coins found by the FBI did not match the coin found in Brooklyn, and even the typewriter used to type the original sheet of numbers did not match any known to the FBI. The case dragged on until 1957, when a former Soviet spy walked into a U.S. embassy in Paris and began telling a story that would unravel a spy ring operating in the United States. Reno Heihanen had taken on the identity of an Idaho man who had moved his family to Estonia. After years of studying English and obtaining fraudulent documents, Heihanen settled in New York in 1952 and began spying for the Soviet Union. 
he would meet with his superior officer in the Prospect Park subway station and exchange data at predetermined hiding places, like a lamppost in Fort Tyron Park and an iron fence at the McCombs Dam Bridge. In the Prospect Park subway station, FBI agents found a hollow bolt hidden in a set of cement steps that contained a small note about a meeting. Heihinen said the Soviets had supplied them with hollow pens, pencils, bolts, and coins, including a Finnish coin found at Heihinen's home in Peirskill, New York, that was very similar to the hollow nickel found in Brooklyn. Heihinen was also able to provide the FBI with information on how to crack the coded numbers found in the hollow nickel. It is too early to send you the gammas and cipher short letters, but the longer ones make with insertions. All the data about yourself, place of work, address, etc., must not be transmitted in one cipher message. Transmit insertions separately. Although the message was found to be little more than a congratulations letter, the information Heihinen provided to the FBI led to numerous arrests and the discovery of a Soviet intelligence officer and photographer whose studio at 252 Fulton Street contained a multitude of spy gadgets and decoding information. Heihinen had apparently spent the hollow nickel years earlier and sent it on a journey that would end up at the FBI laboratory. As for little Jimmy Bozart, by 1957 he was 18 years old and finishing his first year at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute when he arrived home to news reporters after the spy ring had been taken down. For turning over the nickel, he received a civil commendation and even a new Oldsmobile from an anonymous businessman. If you're wandering Brooklyn looking for your own hollow nickel, you may find yourself in Burham Hill at the Hollow Nickel Bar, which took its name from the mystery case. And if you're looking to pass along some secrets of your own, you can order a modern-day hollow nickel on Amazon designed to hide a micro SD memory card, and you can even get an accurate replica of the 1953 hollow nickel from spy-coins.com. Seventy-two years ago, on June 16, 1948, Australian adventurer Ben Carlin and his wife, Eleanor, launched their amphibious jeep into New York Bay in an attempt to circumnavigate the globe. Problems with the vehicle would end the trip five days later, and subsequent attempts would encounter various mechanical problems. After modifications to their amphibious setup, their successful attempt began in July 1950 and would end in May 1958, after multiple legs of the journey. Forty-five years ago, on June 24, 1974, Eastern Air Flight 66 crashes on approach at JFK Airport, killing 113 people. The flight from New Orleans to New York was approaching the airport to land just after 4 p.m. when it encountered heavy winds from a thunderstorm and was driven down quickly, clipping light towers that were leading up to the runway. A flight scheduled to land on the same runway before Flight 66 had abandoned its approach, and its crew reported being pulled down and to the right by winds. And another flight landed, but radioed the tower to report a tremendous wind shear at the ground and advised that subsequent flights should use a different approach. Flight 66 confirmed with the flight controller that they had heard the reports of winds by the previous flight, 
but still attempted to land just a few minutes later in weather that eyewitnesses on the ground described as heavy rain and winds. According to two flight attendants who survived the crash, the plane rolled to the left and the engine speed increased just before the crash. During their investigation, the NTSB saw heavy damage to the left wing, and just before impact, the first officer could be heard on the cabin voice recorder calling to increase engines to take off thrust. As the plane approached the ground, it clipped multiple light poles leading to runway 22L and came to rest on Rockaway Boulevard. The impact killed 113 of the 124 people aboard, with survivors suffering burns and fractures from the impact of their seatbelts. Those who survived were in a rear section that was not as severely damaged upon impact as the rest of the airplane, where those who were killed were in seats that were detached and were scattered as the plane tore apart. As a result of the crash, the light poles leading to runways were changed to breakaway designs that would not so severely damage a plane if they were impacted. One hundred and one years ago on June 26, 1919, the first issue of the Illustrated Daily News is published, which would become the modern-day New York Daily News. First known as the Illustrated Daily News, it was a new paper unrelated to the previous New York Daily News that was published from 1855 to 1906. The Daily News became popular with riders of the subway as the smaller size of the paper was easier to manage on crowded trains. It was founded by a co-publisher of the Chicago Tribune and was based on the format of the London tabloid The Daily Mirror. The famous red icon of the Daily News may look cryptic today, but it's a stylized version of the original logo, a folding film camera with a wired remote shutter trigger that curls down to the side of the icon. The dedication of the Daily News to being a paper focused on photography would continue into the era of television when the company founded a local TV station broadcasting on Channel 11 using a clever nickname for photos, calling them PICS, and the channel became WPIX. Put on your darkest sunglasses and hold your cell phone camera high, because on July 12th, July 13th, Manhattan Hinge brings its golden glow to the streets of New York. Sun worshippers will be dashing into the intersections just before sundown to see the twice-a-year phenomenon when the setting sun lines up with the Manhattan street grid. Check out our guide with photography tips and the best viewing locations at agreatbigcity.com slash manhattanhinge and send in your photos to a great big city on social media. Park of the Day, Michel Triangle, at Clay Avenue between 171st Street and Claremont Parkway in the Bronx. Michel Triangle is bounded by Clay Avenue, Webster Avenue, and East 165th Street, the road that is now Clay Avenue between 164th and 167th was part of the old General Stotts Morris racetrack that had been laid out in 1750 and survived through the mid-1800s. Michel Triangle was established 80 years ago. 
and named in honor of August Mitchell, a native of the Bronx, who was famous for being one of the smallest men ever in the United States Army. Here's something you may not have known about New York. There are multiple sizes and different types of Staten Island ferries that run at different times of the day, and the largest class of Staten Island ferry can carry 6,000 passengers at once. Extreme highs and lows for this weekend weather history, a record high of 98 degrees on June 19, 1994, and a record low of 48 degrees on June 18, 1950. Weather for the week ahead, possible light rain on Sunday and Tuesday. And now that summer has arrived, the UV index will be high on sunny days. So if you do venture outside, be sure to wear clothing that covers your skin or a skin protectant of at least SPF 50 if you'll be out in the full sun. Thanks for listening to A Great Big City. Follow along 24 hours a day on social media at A Great Big City or email contact at A Great Big City with any news, feedback, or topic suggestions. Subscribe to A Great Big City News wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Player FM, Pocket Casts, or listen to each episode on the podcast pages at agreatbigcity.com slash podcast. If you enjoy the show, subscribe and leave a review wherever you're listening, and visit our podcast site to see show notes and extra links for each episode. The intro and outro music is Start the Day by Lee Rosphere, and the Manhattan Hinge music is by Anonymous420. Thanks for being part of a great big city. 